1: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool
2: Money Radio Show. Thanks for joining us this week. I'm Chris Hill, and in studio we've got, from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser. From Motley Fool Supernova, Matt Argusinger, And from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. Good to see you, gents. Hey, hey, Chris. We have got the latest on the TV industry, the food industry, and the sexy world of cloud computing. Our guest this week will help you rule your retirement. And as always, we've got a few stocks you can put on your radar but this week, we're going to start off with the social network. Facebook announced it is buying Oculus VR, a company that makes virtual reality goggles, and a deal worth $2 billion. Ron, right now they're just used for playing video games, but here's a quote from... <laughs> not,
3: not actually yet. <laughs>
2: uh, not yet, but uh, here's a quote from Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, who clearly has big plans for this uh, set of goggles. He said, Imagine enjoying a courtside seat at a game, studying in a classroom of students and teachers all over the world, or consulting with a doctor face-to-face just by putting on goggles in your home. Mm. That seems way far off in the future, but maybe not. I mean, this is a company you watch, $2 (laughs) billion. What do you think of the acquisition? Uh,
3: Mixed emotions, but not a big fan overall. Um, I would say I'm concerned that Zuckerberg, who has a big pocketbook, a big wallet here right now, is spending money. Um, he's he's certainly a visionary, and I respect that. I would certainly have never been able to build the kind of company he has built, um, but I think he's throwing money at things now, um, and he's going to see what sticks down the road. Is virtual reality coming? Sure. 10, 20 years from now, I think it'll be a huge thing. Will it be big for Facebook? I'm not sure. I don't know why he couldn't have partnered here. Um, with this company rather than spend $2 billion. um, I don't know necessarily if their technology is unique. There's other folks like Sony who have virtual reality technology. Um, I respect the vision. I'm just a little bit concerned about the price tag.
2: Uh, Speaking of the price tag, most of it was stock, though, Jason.
0: Yeah. and I mean, you got to give him a pat on the back for that one. I mean, that's uh using face facebook shares when they're at all-time highs i mean that that's a very cheap currency for him and it's going to keep you know the the power of the company firmly in his in his hands so that's good uh the deals getting cheaper by the day man i mean you know this thing was pegged at about a $70 share price and facebook now at about 60 well it's no longer a 2 billion dollar acquisition now is it chris yeah. well this is and
4: this is the thing with facebook that jason mentioned i mean it's just you know no matter what happens to the core business of Facebook, and it's, it still could be strong in five years, but Facebook's equity base and capital base allows them to make these acquisitions, and they can see, as Ron says, they can see what sticks, and granted, that they threw enough billions around, something's got to be sticking, <laughs> so you know, in five years, they, they might
3: actually look good with this. Now, the CFO of Facebook said, we think just the gaming alone will, will be multiples of what we've paid. Um, interestingly enough, the gaming industry, the gamers of the world, are revolting here. They really don't want to be um, in bed with Facebook for various reasons. They liked kind of the independence of Oculus. Facebook says, okay, they're going to uh, operate autonomously, but uh, a lot of people are saying, whoa, 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 this is not what we signed up for. So we'll see if the backlash continues. Yeah, Jason, speaking of backlash,
2: there was also backlash uh, from another community, and that is Oculus, this is a company that had about $90 million in venture capital money behind it, but before that, it raised about $2.5 million through Kickstarter. Uh, for those who don't know, Kickstarter is a platform that enables people to raise money for anything from, from a business to uh, an individual project. Uh, the recent Veronica Mars movie was uh, started off with $2 million yeah. from Kickstarter. And there are people saying, wait a minute. I, I helped raise money to get this off the ground. A, I don't like that you're now with
0: Facebook. And some people are saying, hey, wait a minute. Where's my cut of this two billion dollars <laughs> well I think it's certainly going to uh, make, it's, go, it's going to beg the question going forward exactly how, how well Kickstarter is going to be able to be used for something like this I mean it's, it' we were talking about this earlier in the week it's one thing if you're, if you're chipping in a little money maybe for a movie or a project to, to be made because you can sort of value the enjoyment that you personally might get from that uh, but there are about 9500 people that chipped in to, to raise this two and a half million dollars about 250 dollars a person and th- that's an average so there are a lot of people that, that chipped in a lot more than $250. And at the end of the day, I'm, I remember, you know how like uh, the Charlie Brown, It's a Great Pumpkin, uh, where, where – they all go trick-or-treating, and they all get their candy, and Charlie Brown, he ends up getting a rock? Yeah. And I mean, these people got Charlie Brown. <laughs> I mean, they end up getting a rock out of this whole deal, because they walk away like a t-shirt and a paperweight. And I mean, to Ron's point, I, I don't think a lot of people necessarily want to be in bed with Facebook, because even when they say, you know, they'll, they'll continue to operate autonomously, I don't know that people actually trust that. And I, I don't think I even trust that to a, to at least a degree. I
3: think for a while, but I mean, then I, I've seen rumors that they're going to rebrand the headset with the Facebook logo. I mean, boy, yeah. See you revolt then if that actually happens.
4: Yeah. Well, let me just say I'm also a little bit disgruntled too from an investor point of view. I mean, I, as a rule breaker investor, I mean I want to see companies like Oculus eventually come public at small smaller capitalizations so that we can buy them and and you know have a great you know potential recommendations as public companies. But if Facebooks of the world and Google's of the world are buying up all these small companies, uh, we never really get a chance to as, as a small investor.
2: Uh, Ron, just to wrap up on Facebook, the stock, it seems, at least on the surface, like when you look at this acquisition, $2 billion, versus the WhatsApp acquisition at $19 billion, both for the price tag and for the fact that WhatsApp is closer to the basic business of Facebook, it would seem like analysts would be pushing Facebook to
3: make the WhatsApp acquisition work a lot sooner than this one. Well, definitely, and, and just because of the size of, of the money we're talking about, with Facebook at a market cap of 155 billion, they have 11 billion dollars in cash. The two billion, even if you light it on fire, probably <laughs> won't make that big a difference. My concern is, is: is this a trend of just of spending lots of money on things to see what sticks? Facebook is the largest position in the million dollar portfolio. We're big fans. Doesn't mean we have to like everything we see.
2: The IPO of the week was King Digital Entertainment, the company behind the hit video game Candy Crush. It went public at $22.50 a share. And, Maddie, I'll be honest, I was expecting yet another IPO where the stock pops. For no particular good reason, that's right. The stock fell sixteen percent on the opening day. Is sanity returning to the market? I think
4: there's a small dose of sanity that's coming back to the market. I mean, you, you see this, you see King Digital come down. You also see uh, Castlight Health, which came two weeks ago public, and, and it's down about thirty percent from its IPO high. So yes, um, the thing with King Digital, which is interesting, is actually this is a pretty profitable company. They did over a billion in revenue last year. Their their profit margins is, is in this forty percent range. So this is an extremely profitable company. The problem is... They get three quarters of their revenue from a single game, the Candy Crush Saga. Like I see people all over the place playing this game. I've never have, played it. Has game. anyone
3: here played Candy Crush? I never no, played. but no. I I
4: do have a couple of friends oh, I, who are hardcore. A <laughs> well, uh, fool of our coworkers raising hand, you know in the studio. But I see every other person on the metro, you know, on their phone or on their iPad is playing this game. So. Well, that's really
0: encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> it is a lot of smart people out there. I guess,
4: but I though. think, but yeah, I think investors and the market are being smart with this. They're saying, look, you know, this is an interesting company, very profitable. They might come out with better games, but guess what? Right. Right now, this is a huge risk. If people stop playing Candy Crush, Farmville.
3: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> One word. Farmville is a great Bill. example.
4: So.
2: Uh, back to a company I think that uh, maybe more listeners could identify with, and that's Walgreens. Second quarter profits were hit by weaker margins. America's largest drugstore chain going to get a little bit smaller. Jason, they announced they're going to close seventy-six stores. That's not even one percent of their overall base. But what do you make of the quarter?
0: Well, weaker margins, and I guess we weren't quite getting sick enough, Chris. They said it was a lighter <laughs> than expected cold and flu season. So, damn! I guess hats off to everyone out there for eating better and taking care of yourselves. Uh, the creepy thing is, I follow a casket manufacturer that blamed the same thing. <laughs> it, it, no kidding around. It's really it's pretty creepy. People just aren't dying like they yeah, used to. So Life exactly. expectancy is higher or company. healthier people. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, to that point, I mean, Walgreens is the biggest play. Are in this space, a little bit bigger than CVS, but these companies make a lot of their money from prescription drugs. About 65% of their sales are tied to prescription drugs. And when they uh, see the the generics kind of going out of cycle, and they have to. They, that, that, the generic drugs are a better; they're more profitable. They have they have higher margins for these companies, and so they saw a little bit of headwind there. Uh, you know, overall, closing a few of those stores is, is is no real big deal because at the end of the day, they're still net going to grow uh, the overall footprint. Uh, you know, the thing I the thing I don't really like about Walgreens and CVS and Rite Aid is they're all basically sort of commoditized to this point where the only real competitive advantage is location. Uh, If I know that you're going to take my insurance, and chances are probably they all three do, uh, I, I don't care where I get my prescription filled. I just want to go to the closest place and get it done. And, and so that that's why you see these companies trying to become more things to more people. And you know, we had talked before about the the Walgreens sushi experiment. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm ever buying sushi from Walgreens, but wow. they thought maybe it was worth a shot. Uh, so you're going to see them doing that, and they're going to be you know acquiring businesses like they, they bought Dwayne Reed up in New York. Uh, but but you know, I mean, the more they try to become more things to more people, the more difficult that becomes to manage. And and when you start acquiring more. Companies, companies, uh, that's not always a given either. And so when I look at this, this uh, market in general, uh, it's interesting to observe, but I just don't really see, see much to invest in, in in that regard.
2: So just to be clear, if you're a shareholder of Walgreens, CVS, you're clearly rooting for people to get sick. And if you're Ron <laughs> with his casket <laughs> yeah. maker, you go one step down. It is down. a little creepy. Wow. <laughs> Coming up, TV gets more complicated and breakfast gets more awesome. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Money Full Money. Chris Hale here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. On Thursday, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella unveiled what many were expecting and some investors were definitely hoping for, and that is that Microsoft Office is now available on the iPad. Ron shares a Microsoft up on Friday in the wake of the event. Wall Street likes to move. Do you?
3: Say hello to Sacha Nadella. This Nadella. That's the big deal here. Um, break from the Windows tradition. Um, people have been waiting for it for a long time. I think this is the first shot that you see um, in that regard. I like this move a lot. Um, Microsoft was really giving away probably a billion-plus a year by not having um, this app. And now that they have it, I think it makes perfect sense. And it's the, you know, as I said, it's the first time we see the break with Windows, and it's going to be good for Microsoft going forward.
2: Not bad for Apple either. They're getting their standard 30% cut.
3: Yes, and since we own both Microsoft <laughs> and Apple, <laughs> we're playing both sides of this trade here, but the 30% <laughs> cut will be nice as well. Yeah.
2: Well played. Uh, it was a good week for anyone looking for traditional television to be disrupted. First, we had reports that Apple is in talks with Comcast about a streaming TV service. That would use an Apple set-top box. And second, Amazon is holding a media event on Wednesday, April 2nd, to provide an update on Amazon's video business. And the reports are that Amazon will be launching a free ad-supported TV service separate from Amazon Prime. Uh, Jason, first, when it comes to Apple and Comcast... I think we talked about this a little bit earlier in the week. We were just around the water cooler. It's hard to see how that works out well for Comcast.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. Maybe from the perspective that you actually get a brand that people like and respect involved with them, because I think otherwise most people hate Comcast. I mean, even though they, they provide you with your internet and cable, I mean, they just don't seem to really have it going on the service side of things. But, I mean, you see a lot of this talk going on, uh, it, it seems like, all the time. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how that really would play out. But, you know, we are in the middle of just this, this major disrespect. in in linear television and really how we consume our content. And really the definition of a TV has changed here to where, you know, your phone and your tablet, you know, those are TVs and uh, I think the Amazon news is a bit more interesting just because it seems like they're trying to sort of disrupt that whole sort of network TV model that we're used to. I mean, they uh, last summer, they, they cooperated with CBS to, to get Under the Dome out, and that was very successful. So they're going to continue that. And they're adding more shows to that, to that arsenal there. Uh, but, yeah, when you have companies like Apple, Google, Amazon, Comcast, they're obviously – they have the financial wherewithal to do these kinds of things. Uh, and so, like it or not, they're going to be ones who are changing the landscape for us.
3: Right. I think this is all good for, for us TV watchers out there. We'll be where, where, wherever it comes from. I just got a Roku box yesterday and was excited um, to, to hook it up. Um, obviously, in Amazon, something similar um, would be exciting as well. Apple's been trying to tackle this for quite some time. And it's interesting that they think the best way is to get to get in bed with someone like Comcast because they need what's called that last mile, which is the actual pipes that go into your house and um, direct traffic. And they don't want to be on the regular internet traffic. They want to kind of be segmented so the experience is faster and stronger for people watching their content. Um, So it's interesting that the cable companies, the way they may decide to go, this is way too early to say. There has to be a lot of infrastructure bought here. Apple doesn't have much meteorites even. They need to develop content. So we're really in the early stages here. But it's, it could be exciting in general for us TV watchers.
2: I would be remiss if I didn't mention that uh, on the Roku, The Motley Fool does have its own video channel, so I certainly hope you'll be subscribing to that. <laughs> um, Maddie. another winner in all this, advertisers. If all of a sudden you've got additional options, particularly when it comes to streaming TV, uh, that helps with the ad budget.
4: No doubt about it, and I, I do like the, what Jason said about, you know, Apple's sort of brand and you know customer friendly intuitive software overlaid on
2: on what Comcast has is going to be a much you know, it's much better. Bad week for Rackspace hosting. On Tuesday Google announced it is cutting prices for its cloud computing services and on Wednesday Amazon responded with a price cut for its Amazon web services and shares of Rackspace Maddie they're taking a hit. Yeah, and down big over you know if you look back a
4: couple of years now and like I said before the show Rackspace is kind of like that that mom and pop general store in in the small town, and Amazon's, or I'm sorry, Walmart's, you know, building their store uh, about a mile away. That that is the problem right now because Amazon, Google, Microsoft, eventually as well, they've just been slashing prices for their cloud computing infrastructure, um, and that's because those big tech guys can do that. Um, in fact, Amazon's cut its uh, web services prices 42 times over the last six years. It's it's remarkable, but that's because they're they're not, they know, uh, in in my view, that that. Infrastructure for cloud computing is is a commodity business now, and so they 're interested in, in not really sub you know paying or making that a big business, but essentially providing services for those users. Uh, Rackspace is a pure play though on cloud infrastructure, and if their prices are getting slashed that way it 's bad for them and I, I just think Rackspace is, is in a really tough spot
2: right now just over a year ago, Rackspace shares were trading in the high 70s now it 's in the low 30s is this a value play or a value trap I in think your mind?
4: I, I, would, I would lean towards a value trap, especially, you know, you had the, this, the founder and CEO just recently left or resigned
2: from the company. So, a lot of bad news for Rackspace. Taco Bell is now offering breakfast. Most of the attention is focused <laughs> on one menu item in particular, and that is the Waffle Taco, which is Taco Bell's answer to the Egg McMuffin. It is a waffle sandwich with sausage and egg. The company rolled... And syrup. uh, And syrup. How could we forget the (laughs) syrup? Uh, Taco Bell rolled this out with TV ads featuring men across America who just happened to be named Ronald McDonald. It was a a cheeky ad, Ron. It was good. But uh, it was well played. And uh, you look at how big the breakfast industry is somewhere in the neighborhood of $40, $50 billion. This seems like a pretty smart move.
3: It's big business. I like the irreverence of the marketing campaign. It's fun. Um, and they're really going head-to-head um, with a lot of the folks, McDonald's especially. Um, we'll see if, it's, uh, if it works, but I think I think the early indications are that it's going to be very successful for them.
2: And Jason, we talk all the time about how you look at the restaurant business. Alcohol is a high-margin item. Guess what? Coffee, oatmeal, they're also high profit margin, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a a very smart move for young brands and for Taco Bell. I mean, while I'll never go eat it, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty (laughs) of people out there that will. But you know, you see the same thing with uh, Starbucks, for example. Is really they're they're investing more into to their their food offering. Number one, but really even taking the Seattle's best brand and building those little standalone breakfast shops where you can drive through and get a coffee and a a breakfast sandwich that way too. So I think a lot of these restaurant concepts are seeing that that breakfast is a tremendous uh, incremental opportunity to add to the operations that they have you know already going. And uh, and so I expect to see this continue.
3: Plus, the CEO has asked when this will be rolling out to Canada, and he said. that as soon as they take Justin Bieber back
2: nice <laughs> so, there you go. that's the correct answer let's bring in our man from the other side of the glass Steve brought us Steve Taco Bell breakfast are you excited
1: you have my attention and I'm quite <laughs> interested I'm quite interested I think it sounds like a terrific move
2: do you have a Taco Bell uh, on your way when you drive to the office here? Is there one on the way? I'm, and where I'm going is I'm thinking it would be great if in the next week or so you could do a little, a little test.
1: Perhaps I can. <laughs> there is one near. I will do it.
2: All right. Ryan Gross, Matt Argusinger, Jason Moser. Guys, we will see you later in the show.
5: Went to a nice spot where the lights were low. Dined and danced and I was ready to go. I got him a seat and when floor rose... She said, hold it, Daddy, while I powder my nose. I sat back down with a smiling face while she went down to the powder place.
2: With my green back, green back dollar bill. Just a little piece of paper
5: coated with chlorophyll. The music stopped and the lights came on. I looked around. Coming
2: up next, Robert Brokamp is going to help you rule your retirement. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. We're wrapping up March and heading into April, which is National Poetry Month, National Welding Month. And also National Financial Literacy Month. Joining me in the studio now is the most financially literate person I know. Robert Brokamp is a certified financial planner and the Motley Fool's resident retirement expert. Thanks for being here.
5: Sure. I actually also minored in poetry in college. I just uh, I should say that, although I don't have a poem prepared now, but maybe later.
2: That's okay. My first six questions are about welding. So <laughs> uh, the last time you were in here and we were talking on the show, it was late 2013, which turned out to be just a fantastic. Year year in the stock market, up just about 30%. 2014, so far, not as hot, but still up slightly. But now we're starting to see some investing thought leaders. Seth Klarman leaps to mind, coming out and saying, you know what, I'm going to wave the warning flag on this one. I think we might be in bubble territory, that sort of thing. You went through the last bubble, just like I did. When you look at the market right now, what goes through your head?
5: So, I always look at it from the perspective of a financial planner. And when a financial planner thinks about investments and returns, thinks about what's going to happen in the future so that I know I have enough to retire, so that I have enough to pay for college, so I have enough to know that when I do retire, my money will last as long as I do. So, valuations are important because study after study has shown that a highly valued market means that future returns, not in the next year, two or three, but over the next seven or ten, will be low. Right now, if you look at something like the Schiller PE or the PE10 is what also called sometimes, the market is high. It's not bubble territory. It's not 2000 territory, but it's high. And that it means future returns over the next seven or 10 years will probably be below average, certainly below that 10% that we always hear about, maybe seven, five, something like that.
2: Certainly 2013 was a great year, but if you, you know, if you widen the lens and you go back to two thousand seven, then you're factoring in the Great Recession. The overall return over that time period is, you know, it's fine, but it's certainly not, you know, blazing red hot. Right,
5: right. So, uh, for me, I, I think the the important thing to to think about is how much risk you should be taking. If you decided, for example, a few years ago that you know what, I only want seventy percent in the stock market. Right now, that probably means you're 90% or 95% in the stock market. And you're like, okay, is, is that where I want to be right now? And the interesting thing about that, of course, is for most people, that also means they're either two years closer to retirement or two years deeper into retirement, which probably means you should be taking a little less res- less risk over these couple of years. So, maybe it's time to rebalance it a little bit.
2: I was just going to say, is that is that the best move for people to, when they look at their portfolio, to think less? Because I think uh, there are certainly investors out there who tend to think in absolute terms. Uh, And let's face it, there are some people on Wall Street who want you to think that way because it's like, oh, you got to get out of the market, you got to be all-in cash now, or you need to be all-in, that sort of thing. But it sounds like rebalancing is a much more nuanced and, in the long run, a a much smarter approach for people. What is the best way to go about that, though?
5: The best way to do rebalancing is to start with the allocation that you think is appropriate for you. So, let's say it's 70% stocks. It's tricky these days because where does that other 30% go? cash or bonds, which are just going to be horrible, horrible investments in terms of future returns. We know that. However, it, it they will likely hold up better the next time the stock market really goes down, and it will at some point. So you have to look at it in terms of, all right, having some money for protection more than great returns. So let's say you're, you're getting close to retirement and you want to protect some of your money, 70% stocks, 30% out of the market. You build sort of a, a buffer around that and say, like, okay, once I reach 80, 85% stocks, then it's time to pull it back. And then the other way, it works the other way too. If the stock market goes down and then you're reaching 60% stocks or something like that, then it's a good time to rebalance by selling some of those bonds, using that cash to buy stocks. It is a little bit of a way to, of, of buying low and selling high without, as you said, going all in, selling everything. And you can do it gradually, too, so as, if you're still working and you're contributing to your retirement accounts, you're, you're buying up some of the assets that have, have been down or something that you're light in. Another example, by the way, is international stocks. International stocks have not done as well as U.S. stocks, so we, chances are you're probably light on, on those these days. U.S. stock market has done much better. History has shown that there's this sort of hokey-pokey between U.S. stocks and international stocks. One will be in, the other one will be out. So, at some point, international stocks will do better. So, now might be a good time to, to buy some of those. And on the other end, when you're retired, you rebalance by selling the things that have done particularly well.
2: You're listening to Motley Fool Money, talking with Robert Brokamp, certified financial planner and retirement expert here at The Motley Fool. We talk about stocks and bonds all the time, you and I. But two things that get a lot of headlines in the financial media that I never hear you talking about are gold. An alternative currency, and yes, I'm referring to Bitcoin. <laughs> what, what do you say to someone? And maybe you've already gotten these questions, but what do you sure. say to someone who says, hey, I'm looking at gold. Hey, I'm thinking about Bitcoin.
5: All right. So gold, let's I'll just I'll just give the the classic line that anyone from the Motley Fool or even Warren Buffett or a lot of people will say about gold, and that I invest in businesses. Gold is not a business. It doesn't have revenue. It doesn't have leadership. It doesn't have innovation. It's just a metal, and the and the price of it is determined somewhat by supply and demand. It has some industrial uses, but it's mostly a psychological issue. People want to hoard it or they want to get rid of it. People say it's a good inflation hedge, but it peaked at some point in 1980, and it didn't reach that peak again until like 2003 or something like that. So that was not great inflation protection. So. That's my take on gold for the most part. Bitcoin is a whole other creature. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's something that I don't even, that's the other thing. I invest in something I understand. That is something I just don't understand. Currencies in general, that is actually a a reason why you would invest internationally because it is a hedge against a falling dollar. Um, International stocks significantly outperformed U.S. stocks in the first decade of the 2000s. And about a third of that outperformance was just due to strengthening currencies and the falling dollar. And that's a, it's a hedge against um, the U.S. dollar just going kaput.
2: Now, for years, you have run the Rule Your Retirement Service here at The Motley Fool, but recently you've taken on a new role, and that's you're part of The Motley Fool One team now, which is our all-access service. Um, I should mention, uh, anyone interested in more information, it's actually open to new members just right. for a short amount of time. You can go to foolone.com. That's the letter spelling of one, fool, O-N-E dot com. Um I'm curious, though, in your role there – as a certified financial planner, what are some of the more common questions you're getting from members? I'm assuming it's not about Bitcoin and gold. It is not
5: about Bitcoin. Well, I see a lot of people actually do have gold because you know, a gold is a fear investment. A lot of people are afraid of a lot of things. What What's going to happen to the, the deficits? What's going to happen to America? and Stuff like that. So actually a lot of questions about gold. Um, Also, a lot of questions related to what I mentioned earlier and that people say, like, I know I shouldn't be 100% in the stock market, but what else should I do? I don't want to buy cash. And my answer to that is, you should still play it safe. But what's probably the the thing I talk about the most with one members is whether or not they should have a financial advisor. Because a lot of people come to The Motley Fool, have financial advisors, and when you add up the costs of paying 1% a year... To the financial advisor, the financial advisor puts you in mutual funds that charge another one percent. You're looking at paying two percent a year for asset management. You know two thousand for every hundred thousand dollars that you have that is not going to grow for you. And most studies have shown that these folks are actually not outperforming the market, partially because of those costs. And then the third part is, are you getting any sort of financial planning advice along with that? Retirement calculations, insurance analysis. And the, and the truth is, the average stockbroker, someone who calls himself a financial advisor, but they're more of a salesman, they really don't know that much about financial planning. So you're getting high fees, mediocre performance, and opinions about financial planning that are probably not very good. You add all that up, and people are sort of waking up to, you know what, maybe there's a way to do this that is not so expensive, I have a little bit more control, and I have access to all kinds of of experts from all over the country, do a little research, um, those types of things. I think people are realizing they don't have to give everything over to one financial advisor.
2: One thing that I think works against people in your position is something that I remember Jack Bogle talking about. Uh, the guy who founded Vanguard and just one of the true great investors of the last 100 years. But Bogle talked about uh, the the lure of hidden fees and that – and I may get the exact numbers wrong, but I think he said something along the lines of people would rather pay $1,000 in fees that they never see yes. as opposed to $50 out of pocket. Right. And I think that's, that's part of – maybe that's part of human nature, but that does seem to work against you in your position saying, well, wait a minute. Look at all the numbers here. You have to really draw them out, right you
5: You don't pay. You don't see. You don't write a check to your mutual fund company or your financial advisor. Generally speaking, they just take it out of your account and take it out of your IRA. You know, everyone thinks oh, I can't take money out of my IRA until I'm fifty nine and a half. Well, your financial advisor can. Your mutual fund company can. They take it out. You you compound a one percent fee over something like thirty forty years you've cut your nest egg almost in half just because you have given up that money each year, but then you've lost out on the future growth of what you could have had if you instead had that money rather than paying it to somebody. Uh,
2: I mentioned uh, you and I are old enough. We vividly remember uh, the last time the market had a serious correction, not the Great Recession, but back in in 2000, 2001. Uh, How has your approach to retirement planning, how is your focus as someone around investing, how has that changed over the last 15 years?
5: One thing I don't think people appreciate enough of is thinking of their entire financial picture as one big business. So you do have your portfolio, and that's important. You have all your possessions, your home equity, all the things that you have in your house. You also have your human capital, which is your ability to earn an income, your ability to get another job if something happens to your current job, frankly, your ability to do things on your own so you don't have to pay someone, like financial management or even fixing something in your house. You sort of have to put all that together to think about how you are going to grow your wealth and protect your wealth. Health, I think, is a big part of that, too. One, uh, about a quarter of the people who retire actually do it earlier than they wanted to, but it was due to health reasons. So you can, be, uh, you can have a good job, you can be saving up money, but then something happens to your health, you didn't take care of yourself, you have to retire sooner than you had planned. You're kind of in a tough spot because you're no longer physically able to work. Uh, so you kind of have to make do on what you have.
2: Uh, before I let you go, I mentioned full one and sort of the questions you get from members. Are you hearing anything on the flip side in terms of benefits from the service that they're particularly enjoying?
5: Part of it is costs. And part of it, too, is people are waking up to uh, the benefits of paying a flat fee. So, for Motley Fool One, you pay a flat fee, and then you get all these services and that will help you manage your portfolio, as well as you can get some of your financial planning questions answered. If you're paying 1% a year... You're paying more and more as your account grows, even though the advisor isn't doing anything more for you. I was going to say,
2: it's always nice to see your account grow, but what you're probably not thinking is, oh, my costs are growing as well.
5: Right, exactly. So uh, they're not doing any more than they were doing for you. So paying a flat fee is a huge benefit to that. And and to the degree that you are willing to do some things on your own, the one thing I think is good about Motley Fool One is sort of it can be a mixture between someone who wants to be a totally do-it-yourself person, or you know, just give me a little bit of guidance, and I can I can do some of it, but I I need someone to work with. I think that's helpful too because it's that middle ground as opposed to do it all by myself or. Hand everything over to a financial advisor.
2: You can learn more by going to fool1.com. That's fool, O-N-E, foolone.com. Fool One.com. Robert Brokamp, Thanks for being here, my friend. Sure. He tried to look like he had a little bit of money. A grifter with a southern draw.
3: Well, I could tell right away by the way
2: he was running coming up next, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. As always, people on the program have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Guys, before we get to the stocks on our radar, some great news this week for fans of both beer and Star Trek. A Canada-based group called the Federation of Beer is launching a Klingon beer called Warnog. It is the first Star Trek-themed beer to come to the United States. Uh, This same group is already selling something called Vulcan Ale in Canada. Uh, Ron? Warnock's going to be brewed in Evansville, Indiana, five point five percent alcohol. What about blood wine? Isn't that what Klingons uh, drink? Oh, no, that was the that was the
4: Romulans. Oh, oh no, no, you're right. No, it no, was Klingons. 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 Blood wine. Romulan ale is what I'm thinking. of. Wow, I didn't know we had a couple <laughs> blood of blood wine. Trek-ies. Baby, uh,
2: I, I just want to know: Is Commander Worf going to be the brewmaster? I'm going to. Guess no, but I don't really know completely what you're talking about. So I <laughs> blood so wine good. is twice
3: the alcohol content of scotch for those taking notes. Wow, Steve Broido,
2: oh, uh, what do you think? We a little talk, Ron, a little uh, a little Klingon beer to, to wash down dinner.
3: Yeah, I don't know what
1: any of you are talking
2: about. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> so let's uh, that's a great segue into the stocks on our radar this week. Ron Gross, you're up first. Steve, will hit you with a question.
3: Steve, a company near and dear to your heart. Going back to Perry Ellis, P E R Y. This is the only company in the history of our deep value service that has currently in the red um, they reported preliminary results a couple weeks ago that were not great stocks sold off sharply they report next week i need more information i want to hear what where we're going with this company because on the face of it it looks real cheap but the business is uh, kind of shaky steve question about perry ellis
1: full disclosure i have a family member who works there uh, but I don't understand Periolis at all. I don't see that brand as being one that I would run to, say, wow, I really need to get a Periolis shirt. It seems like <laughs> sort of well, you're, you're shopping at TJ Maxx, and there's one there, and you're like, I guess this will work.
3: Well, they, <laughs> they're big in golf. Um, the Perry Ellis brand does have its place. The Raffaella women's brand is making... Uh, decent headway. As with many retailers, they recently blamed the weather and the poor retail environment, but we'll see where that goes. But I, I was wondering, how much um, importance do you place in your own wardrobe? Is that an important thing to you?
1: As I get older, no. <laughs> Not important.
4: <laughs> Matt Argusinger, what's on your radar this I, week? If you want a roller coaster company, Bank of Internet, B-O- B-O-F-I is the ticker. Uh, two weeks ago, the stock was hitting an all-time high of $106, dropped all the way down to, I believe, the low 70s. And then on Friday, is up over $10. Uh, this is just a company that it, it just had a meteoric rise, growing, uh, growing really fast. It's a virtual bank, so no branches. It's just online. Um, you know, a lot of people are fans of the company. it's just had such a tremendous run. A short article came out. Obviously, and the stock is pretty expensive, so it's, it's sold off uh, a little bit with the market over the last few days. But I'm, I'm, I'm getting more intrigued by the day. It's one we own in Supernova. Steve, question about Bank of Internet?
1: Didn't ING try to do this and fail at it? Yes. In some okay. Well,
4: that, no, they haven't. They haven't failed at it. I mean, they still have. Aren't they gone? They've been rebranded. Let's put it that.
1: Question. That sounds like a fail. <laughs>
2: okay, Maddie, do you have a question you want
1: to throw? Sure. Through? So,
4: Steve, when is the last time you stepped in a, 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 the branch of your bank?
1: Oh, it's been quite a while. I would say well over a year. Very go. infrequent, yeah.
2: Sounds like a potential candidate for the Bank of Internet, Jason Moser. What's on your radar? This yeah, week?
0: looking at uh, Lululemon, L U L U. The two things that had me really hung up on this stock were leadership and the and the fact that it was an expensive stock. And uh, the prices has certainly come back to reality with the tough retail season. And leadership is the shuffle is kind of over. Uh, Christine Day is is left. Thankfully, founder Chip Wilson is no longer an issue as he stepped down from the board. And I'm optimistic about what Laurent Potdevin will be able to do with the company. It's a very powerful brand, uh, and they are growing their direct-to-consumer sales uh, very rapidly, which is, is resulting in, in better margin picture for the company. So I think it's, a, it's an attractive price today for a very powerful brand.
2: And the ticker symbol?
0: L-U-L-U. Steve, question about Lululemon? What do
1: you think of yoga pants for men? Is there a market there? They look very comfortable.
0: You're you're asking for a friend, right? Yes,
1: not for me. No.
0: I'm just going to say sell, Steve. I'm selling yoga pants for men. Not even a hold. I don't want to go there. Do you have a question for Steve? Yes, yeah, Steve. Am I the only one that when you say Perry Ellis, the first picture that comes in your mind is Perry the Platypus?
1: Yes, I was thinking okay. of Perry yeah. King from uh, Riptide. Do you guys remember that show on TV? This I is do. A bit of a yeah. pull. That, that's that's what I think of is Perry okay. King from Riptide. That's a
3: bit of a pull for you there.
2: Who's the Perry that leaps to your mind? Because I'm with Jason uh, as, as someone who has kids, uh, the Disney Channel, Perry the Platypus, one of the great yeah, underrated Yes, so I'm,
3: I'm a fan, but I, I'm Perry Ellis all the way. Iconic brand, Steve, iconic.
2: Maddie? Perry Cuomo?
3: Perry Cuomo. <laughs> I mean, on. I, I, really only
2: at Christmas time, you sure know, when, you're, when you're rolling out the albums there. But uh, all right, Ron Gross, Matt Argesinger, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. As I mentioned in the last segment, uh, for just a, a little more time, you can check out Fool foolone.com. We're reopening the Motley Fool One service, so check it out at foolone.com. That's O-N-E. Not the number one, Ron. No. It's foolone.com. <laughs> yes. com. That's going to do it for this week's show. The show is Mixed by Rick Engdahl. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.